it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Bottom of the hour, trying to make heads, heads or tails of what the Fed's going to do this week, as well as these slow bank uh, failures. And we find out today that J.P. Morgan Chase is going to look to build up uh, Republic Bank. So we'll see what that means. Uh, they think they need more money for a bailout. Uh, and what's that going to look like? Uh, with me in studio, kind enough to follow me up from Fox & Friends, Senator Lindsey Graham. Fresh off appearance with the Daily Shows, uh, Al Franken, who is your buddy, which yeah. is strange. Yeah. I want to get that story and more, but let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's yeah. Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're seeing uh, Mexican President Lopez Obrador saying that uh, we're not going to solve this with bullets. We're going to solve this with hugs. It's kind of silly to take an attitude like that. But in my mind, that just reinforces the idea that corruption is rampant within the Mexican government. No kidding. That's Stephen Murray weighing in, the former DEA agent. And he's talking about the bipartisan group of lawmakers who want to see the Mexican president and his cabinet in a desperate attempt to control the border. Progress made and just highlights the inept border czar Kamala Harris and Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas uh, and how uh, inadequate they've been acting towards fixing our border. Quick question. Why are there so many Chinese uh, coming across our border? It's up a thousand percent from a year ago. What are they up to? Number two. China is definitely taking a you know a hard look at Taiwan, and they know if they ever take any action down there, they're going to need uh, you know a counterbalance to push back on the United States. So he yep. and Putin both have a lot of common cause. Yep, Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis weighing in. Relations reinforced, but war in Ukraine dominates with President Xi and Putin. What does it mean for the conflict, U.S. relations, and more? We'll discuss it. Number one. The previous district attorney said this is something they weren't going to pursue. And even this district attorney said he wasn't going to pursue it. And then what happened? President Trump announces he's running for re-election. And shazam, and oh, now we're going to pursue it. Uh, by the way, that is Jim Jordan taking action. Trump fights back as the grand jury hears pushback in Manhattan, while Jim Jordan invites the Democratic DA to testify in front of his committee over the weaponization of his office. With me tonight now in studio, guy with a rich legal background, great friend of the show and mine, Senator Lindsey Graham. Welcome, Senator. Thank you. Things Every time I see it, this is unprecedented. But it this is. is unprecedented. Yes. To think that a major, to a former president who could be a future president is going to be indicted sometime this week or next. Well, we open up Pandora's box because other county prosecutors, maybe on the Republican side, well, maybe I should do this to a Democratic official. We're allowing uh, liberal cities, liberal counties to become a wrecking ball toward Trump. Anything they can do, we can do. So I think it's going to jeopardize the presidency over time. So I do think this. So Donald Trump and his allies have launched, I think, a blistering offensive. Now, Jim Jordan calling in the D.A. to Washington. Uh, I think that is significant. And it shows on the best defense is a great offense. Right. Here's what Jordan's saying and what he'll do. Cut nine. And we sent this letter to Mr. Bragg saying, we want to talk to you. We want to know what's going on here. We want to see the communications that have, that have taken place between the Federal Justice Department and your district attorney's office there in, in Manhattan. Because understand, Harris, 
First they went after President Trump on Russia. Then it was a phone call with Zelensky. Then they wanted his tax return. Then they go after his business records. Then they go after his children. And now it's some misdemeanor alleged bookkeeping error that they're going to. And this is from the prosecutor who initially didn't want to do this. In fact, he had people resign because he wasn't going to do this because no one else will bring this case. Well, I like that he's doing this, but will the D.A. go? Yeah, I doubt it. But I like what Jim is doing. He's trying to go on the offense and say, "Okay, this uh, New York prosecutor using any federal resources here. The implications for balance of power in this country are enormous. Right. You have you have the federal system. You have state systems. The prosecutor here in New York has downgraded over 50 percent of felonies to misdemeanors. But there's one guy in New York City that went the other way. It's Donald Trump. And the one thing people don't talk enough about is that the book that was written by a former prosecutor in the New York office saying we had Trump, you let him go, I think is driving this because the narrative of that book is that Trump was dead to rights and they gave in to the political pressure. This Mr. Bragg guy is can't stand that narrative, so he's up in his game. The book talked about this being the zombie case. Yes. The book said this case was dead. Well, it was And they dead. went back and they said that he inflated the worth of his property to get loans that he, by the way, he has paid back. This well, is a non-problem. Well, the bottom line is uh, Cyrus Vance, the old uh, DA here in Manhattan, said no thank you. The U.S. attorney for New York said no thank you. So now they bring this case back from the dead. They charge him with a misdemeanor and they add a felony, a minor felony, to get it back into the camp of a felony. Why? Because the statute of limitations for the false statement case is two years. That's been two years. They, they've created a legal cocktail to get jurisdiction to prosecute Donald Trump, right. and no one in the history of New York City has ever been prosecuted this way. So, so Senator, if you're Alvin Bragg right now, are you liking this attention, or are you saying to yourself, what did I do? Because Trump went on the offense on Sunday, Saturday and said, I'm coming, I'm going to be arrested on Tuesday, protest. And now the scrutiny, the news media, everyone coming around and no one's saying this is a layup. Every, a lot of people are saying on other channels, I'm not too sure about this case. So why would you do this if you're Mr. Bragg? I think it's a political decision by him. He feels like he's carrying the torch for the left that he's the one that won't let Trump get away with everything he's done wrong. He's planting the flag, and he's going to be the hero of the left. I think that's playing out for him. But what he doesn't realize, the ramifications for the country writ large are very, very serious, compromising, I think, a balance of power between state, local officials, and the federal government. And this will backfire. President Trump will win this contest legally, and he will win this contest politically. But when you see, as Chris Christie brought up on Sunday, when you get fingerprinted and you get the mug shot, you might say it makes me stronger. And I saw what you said right away. Uh, you said this this guy has done help him get the nomination and maybe right. president again. But when you have those moments, yeah. and you might say it makes you more powerful, you you know the law. That's still humiliating, and you don't want That's, that out there no, at 76 I, years old. I don't want that for the presidency. I don't want that for – you know, nobody's above the law, including former presidents, but the law should never be used as a political weapon. I think here is being used as a political weapon. This case makes no legal sense given the what's going on in New York. It's been dead. They bring it back to life for a reason. It's a politically motivated, I think, effort to get Trump 
And at the end of the day, uh, legally he will lose. I think the Supreme Court will shoot this down eventually. This is selective prosecution on steroids. Do you have any sense of the track, of the timing? So if he gets indicted this week, what kind of timing? Because we, we look at a guy that's running for the nomination. Yeah, I'm not the smartest lawyer in New York by any means, but there's so many things you could do to make this to difficult for Mr. Bragg. You right. could go to federal court. I mean, the bottom line is if I were the Trump legal team, I would wear him out. Uh, I want you to hear this is just about this case in particular, because I know we got the Georgia case. You got the January 6th case. You got the Mar-a-Lago files. Um, and I know with the with the Georgia case, they they questioned you. But Robert Costello, for a blink of an eye, represented Michael Cohen. So he came forward and spoke to the grand jury, which I think is kind of interesting because you usually get people that just sing your song. Right. He was not singing that song. He says Michael Cohen has no credibility and not just because he was convicted. Listen, cut seven. And I told them and told the grand jury today I was deputy chief of the criminal division of the U.S. attorneys for the Southern District. I said I wouldn't touch a witness like Michael Cohen for any amount of money. You simply yeah. cannot rely upon this guy. And tonight he was on another station denying that he waived the attorney-client privilege. Here it is, in writing, yeah. and that's his signature on the second page. So that's unbelievable. I guess he didn't know that, and the district attorney didn't know that. And I told them, Michael Cohn has been in your office 20 times and twice in the grand jury, and he forgot to tell you that he waived the attorney-client privilege 22 times? I mean, really, is this the kind of witness you want to ride to the finish line? <laughs> It's just a joke. I mean, and I would feel the same way if it was Bill Clinton. I'd go, hey, sure. guys, the totally. Monica Lewinsky is embarrassing. Totally. Uh, we know it. Uh, but are we going to go convict him after because he might run again? Uh, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and in the big picture, I think it's very interesting to see how it's going to affect him because Nikki Haley's in single digits right now. I think she's incredibly qualified. You know her well. I do, too. I think Tim Scott's going to be a formidable. He's talking Absolutely. broad strokes about our country. I think Mike Pompeo, CIA director, congressman, who yep. was uh, uh, Secretary DeSantis, of State. Uh, great governor. Yeah. yeah so on I mean, and on and on. But when they're on stage, right. you ran for president. Yeah. It, this is a different crop. Totally. And when they're on stage, and now that Trump's a known quantity in 2023, what happens? Here's what I think. Uh, this case has taken all the air out of the Republican primary. Everybody running against Trump with a half a brain is having to defend Trump. Because what they're doing to him is basically dangerous and unfair. So every day that we go in the primary process, Trump's a victim to the left. Uh, it's a good day for Trump. So let's talk about Ukraine today. Vladimir Putin uh, and uh, President Xi had their day two of their mini summit over in Moscow. And the first day they just talked about how great each other's country is. Right. But when the cameras are off and the doors are closed... What do you think of substance is is going on? I think they're setting up a move by China down the road here to provide lethal aid. So let's look at the war basically year on. We were told in D.C. by our military and the intelligence community, uh, Ukraine would be over in two weeks. Big miscalculation. I heard three days. Yeah, it was, they said four, but two weeks. Um, so they didn't know what they were talking about. Uh, with the right amount of weapons, the right type of weapons, they can evict uh, Russia from Ukraine. Biden's given them enough not to lose but not enough to win. General Keene says that I agree. So uh, Putin's army is being dismantled by the Ukrainians. They're down to women prisoners. He's running out of weapons. Uh, the sanctions are beginning to hurt. So China doesn't have many friends, but they have a friend in Putin. 
because his ambitions are similar to their ambitions. He wants to control his backyard. They want to control theirs, China, and, and probably go beyond. So I think Xi has made a decision that it's better for him to risk the wrath of helping Putin than let Putin go down. And he's going to provide lethal weapons as a last resort unless the Biden administration deters him. The thing is, he saw how united NATO was. He saw they were adding two more right. countries. He saw that the, the uh, Western Europe eventually it got off natural gas and oil from mm-hmm. Vladimir Putin, which everyone thought was going to be impossible certainly to convince. If the U.S. starts saying, putting doing, doing something like we're doing with TikTok and start pulling our economic relationship apart, and European Union does it to any degree – what, why is it in China's interest to do that? Well, so what he's trying to do, uh, Xi, is stop the bleeding. The day that China provides weapons, this war changes. Right. Because the European Union is far more interested in doing business with China than, say, many of us in Congress. So Xi is making a play. He's going to stand up for Russia rather than be part of the demise of Putin because if Putin goes, he's been indicted, uh, excuse me, an arrest warrant by the ICC against Putin – for war crimes in Ukraine. That's not a model that Chi wants to see become successful because he could be next because of his abuse in China. So I think he's going to stand up to Europe, stand up to the United States, and double or triple down on helping Putin because he sees if Putin goes down, that's sort of the a big end of his ambitions. So what, what the thing is, he knows the economic risk. He knows he doesn't have the healthiest economy in the world. He knows they're coming out slowly from this. Does he really want that fracture? For example, Nike, Adidas, I pulled out a lot of their manufacturing. Apple is starting to make moves. They'll never get all out. I get it. But when you start doing that, what do we uh, hear today? Another major uh, firm is pulled out of China. It says it's just too risky. Well, That doesn't work for them. No, see, the guy's a dictator. He doesn't have to worry about the next election. So all these things you described are economic uh, upheaval in the short term. Here's his bet. I've got a billion people. People want to do business with me. This is a good market for the West. It's a win-win situation. He's going to believe, or I think he believes, that if he can keep Putin in power by China coming to his aid, that he's stronger in the eyes of the West, not weaker. When we come back, we're Republicans, why they're jumping off the Ukraine bandwagon and what Ron DeSantis said and how it's playing for his quest perhaps to become the nominee. Uh, don't move. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Senator Lindsey Graham here for a little bit longer. Then we go inside business with Jerry Willis. Busy day. So glad you're here. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
the fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I'm hopeful we'll find some uh, common ground. Yeah, there's always hope. And uh, <laughs> we've probably got a joke playing, which I think is terrible, but go ahead. Okay, my, my joke was that I'm, I'm, my point. I'm thinking what everyone else is thinking, which is how could the two of us possibly come off good after this? Or either of us. Or either of us. Now, is that funny? No. No. Well, thanks for... Well, well anyway, that, I'm glad to be That's here. how you kill a joke. Well... <laughs> by saying... We, we have a joke that I don't think is funny, well, but let's try it. But, you know, anyway, okay. whatever. Okay, good I'm going to go in the center for I don't want to ruin his life. He was a good senator. Uh, <laughs> uh, senator Al Franken, Senator Lindsey Graham last night, Al Franken filling in yeah. on The Daily Show, getting his week. So yeah, you I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I always liked Al. I thought, he, I thought he was a good senator. You know, he's liberal, but he took his job seriously. I always enjoyed getting along with him. You want to make a, a point about the European Union. Yeah, okay. So, so, if, so if China's in and they start giving lethal weapons saying, okay. screw you, world. So what this meeting is about uh, – so the ICC, the International Criminal Court, issued an arrest warrant for Putin. Now, that's a big deal. <clears throat> What's the crime? Stealing children from Ukraine, 16,000, and sending them to Russia. The last country to do that was Hitler. So the ICC believes there's enough evidence to arrest Putin for a war crime. So she comes the next week. It's in she's interest in his own mind for Putin to prevail and not be taken down. What can we do to deter what I think is the biggest game changer in Ukraine? Lethal support from China to Russia, providing Russia weapons they don't have yeah. to keep this war going. If the Biden administration designated Russia state-sponsored terrorism under U.S. law and China helped, they would run into U.S. sanctions. If the European Union would do the same thing, it would change the calculation for China. Without that, they're going to give them weapons. So they need to know this is the sanctions. What about it just saying sanctions? These are the sanctions, Germany, Italy, France, Portugal, Spain, England. These are the sanctions that are going to be going your way if you, in fact, give them lethal weapons totally. and extend this war. So now how do we do it under U.S. law? There are five countries that are state sponsor of terrorism, Iran, North Korea, Syria. I can't remember the other two. So what would happen if we made Russia state-sponsored terrorism? Any nation or group that provided material support would run into U.S. sanctions. That, I think, would have the potential to deter China. You know, remember when Putin built up his forces around Ukraine? I was yelling pre-invasion sanctions, up the cost. You were. Send weapons before the invasion so you make it harder. Neither one happened because the Biden administration didn't want to be provocative. They're doing the same thing, same mistake with China. you got a moment here where you can up the cost of Chi bailing out Putin, and we're not taking that moment uh, in stride or seriously. All right. How, how concerned are you about uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran? Very, because they're about 85 percent enrichment, uh, the Iranians. So Israel is not going to let them get to 90 percent because that, that's weapons-grade uh, enriched uh, uranium. So Saudi Arabia is doing something I quite don't understand. What? Now, this is a slap to Biden for sure. Right. They're trying to play nice with the largest state sponsored terrorism on the planet. And that's it. Uh, so, Senator, we'll find out what happens to that relationship. It can't be, uh, it's not based on solid ground. Senator Lindsey Graham, thanks so much. Thanks.
the talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Then Jerome Powell just took a flamethrower to the regulations, weakened them, weakened them, weakened them, weakened dozens of the regulations. And then the CEOs of the banks did exactly what we expected. They loaded up on risk that boosted their short-term profits. I think he's failing in both jobs, both as the oversight and manager of these big banks, which is his job, and also what he's doing with inflation. Senator Elizabeth Warren, no stranger to the fact she doesn't like Jay Powell, never did, and now she looks as an opportunity to call on every Sunday show for his ouster, also wants more regulation, when regulation that was released in 2018 really had nothing to do with this. Jerry Willis is an anchor personal finance reporter for FBN and host of uh, the Fearless and Proud podcast, available now at foxnewspodcast.com. Jerry, welcome. Thank you for having me. You're Appreciate not surprised it, that Elizabeth Warren gets going for more vengeance. Uh, these two don't like each other. They don't like each other, and she is always on the side of more regulation. For her, the, the discussion is always about regulation. That's what it boils down to. I don't think that's the issue here. I don't think that's the problem. We've had this incredible spike in interest rates put in place by the Federal Reserve. No surprise, it ended up reverberating badly for the nation's banks. Well, one thing is the thing that was released, I understand, was the stress test. The stress test on these medium-sized banks was so costly, they said, hey, can you alleviate some of the pressure on us? So Barney Frank of Dodd-Frank was part of that with this— Uh, with the signature bank and said, yeah, you, we should really do it. Now I'm 82 years old and I'm serving on the board. And 17 Democratic senators signed on to it. So Elizabeth Warren obviously sees it as an opportunity rather than a cure, in my humble opinion. Well, I, I don't think you're far from the truth. Uh, she has always had, you know, one idea uh, that she's pursuing. And I have to tell you, these banks, I know we had calls this week to close down the medium and small sized banks, which in my view would be a travesty because these are the people who serve small businesses. These are the people who can write loans because they know people in their own community and they can say, hey, I know you're good for this. I'm going to lend to you. This is what keeps the economy going. I thought so. But now we have uh, Mr. Wonderful from Shark Tank come out and say, we don't need community banks. We just no. need four big banks and that the rest of the world doesn't do the community bank thing. It's time to make a change. But don't you want to walk into that person that you know you might see on the baseball field and say, listen, I'm, I'm looking to expand my store. I'm looking to buy the store instead of uh, having a lease. Do you, what do you think about that? Does that still matter in today's economy? Because the other side is if you go to one of the big banks, they're using – cookie cutter recipes yeah, on who they're going to lend yeah who they're going to lend to and you're not able to kind of craft something that works for you so it would be a tragedy if we lost those banks but you know let's just be clear here banking is always a confidence game right i mean there's talk today about backstopping all banks all deposits which seems crazy to me at the end of the day if people completely lose faith in the banking in their bank they're going to pull their money out that's just the way it works so where do we get the money to possibly Back up every bank. I don't know. Print it like we've been doing. I, I mean, you know, you make it up as you go, right? I mean, I think it's a, it would be a big mistake to do this. I don't think it's possible to make good on that promise. I don't know how you do it without uh, putting us in more federal debt, national debt than we have right now, which is an astonishing amount as it is. So I, I think, look, what's going on here, which I think is really great, is Jamie Dimon from the Blue Bank, J.P. Morgan Chase, is actually out there trying to craft a solution privately. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to wait for the feds to take care of this. He's going to he's going to try to fix some of this stuff 
with other banks. And I think that's really good, right? Because that's their money. It's not our money. So in other words, he's trying to get some money for uh, First Republic Bank and get, get their rescue plan. Where does that money come from? And if J.P. Morgan does get it, do they own it? Do they, does it become a subsidiary Listen, of everything is, is in flux right now? Anything could happen. They could buy it. Uh, what they first talked about was uh, um, get, putting capital in. Now they're talking about investing and possibly investing at an ownership level. That's typically how these things end up. That's what's happened to J.P. Morgan Chase in the past. They've bought out. Uh, banks that were in deep, deep trouble. They have a history of doing this, stepping in when times are tough. And we know the Swiss bank got bailed out, Credit Suisse, uh, Swiss by UBS. We know that's been done. It was basically a, a forced opportunity. Now, the Silicon Valley Bank, to me, this is unbelievable. And I'm willing to if, feel free to shoot me down if any of my premises don't add up because I am not an economic expert like you are. But I see the fact that the guy that's serving as CEO of Silicon Valley Bank was also on the San Francisco board who was warned in 2019 and 2021 that you are not being fiscally responsible. And yet he did nothing about it. The same guy. So think about this. The guy who's who's not being regulated sits on the regulatory board. How hard is this? I mean, this is astonishing that we're allowing this to happen. People are calling for all kinds of new rules, new regulations. Oh, let's write a law. You don't need a law. You need the people who are supposed to do the regulating to do the regulating and not be afraid that they're going to offend somebody on the board. This is unbelievable to me. And I think that the San Francisco Fed, uh, Fed did fail. The Federal Reserve has failed. You know, this is not a small problem. This is a big problem, and it's right at the feet of our regulators. And what, how many times do you know anybody that says, okay, I'm going to put my money in this bank. I wonder who's on the board. Nobody even thinks like that that yeah. I know of. Yeah. I, I mean, so that now we look at it and we go, wait, there's nobody with any banking experience on the board. What were they doing? Where were they donating? Well, almost all their money was going to Democratic cause, went to Maxine Waters, went to Nancy Pelosi, went to – uh, Senator uh, Kamala, Kamala Harris, and they expect at this moment to get bailed out because they put in their time, they put in their money, like Sam Bankman-Fried did a lot of that. And this guy walked out, we just found out too last week, with about $2 billion when we thought he had 200 Silicon Valley Bank, isn't their entire business model was wrapped around this new legislation coming out of Washington to finance green efforts, right? So think about that. A powerful economic force is doing nothing but figuring out how to spend your taxpayer dollars. And they're a bank. I, I mean – It's look, outrageous. Well, it's outrageous, but you shouldn't be surprised because uh, entrepreneurs are very smart at taking advantage of what the government does. <laughs> and now, can you, can you tell me about your podcast? Yes, I can. I'm very excited. So this is excellent, and you need to listen. Um, we're talking about women who are soldiers and spies – battlefield nurses during the Civil War. You know, it was the most horrific conflict in American history. 620,000 men died. Some of those people who died were women. Uh, and and we talk about some incredible right. people who were spies, who were soldiers. Marion Bowser was a woman who served as a spy in the Confederate White House, looking at Jefferson Davis's letters and notes, memorizing them. They thought she was cleaning the place up. But in fact, she wow. was funneling information back to the union. You also had Dr. K. Whitehead on, right? Yeah, yeah. And we want to take a clip from that interview. Do you want to uh, 
you want to preface it at all? So she is expert on Harriet Tubman, who I'm sure you know. But what you probably don't know is that Tubman was a spy and an intelligence officer leading a raid in South Carolina that – amazing. Let's hear her first. All right. Here it is. The Fearless and Proud podcast series looks at acts of bravery and strength by women. March is Women's History Month, and in this first season, we look at women who played important roles in the Civil War as soldiers, spies, and nurses. We'll discuss famous examples of women pretending to be men to become soldiers and spies on both sides. What I was taught early on, which is why I'm I'm so drawn to the story of Harriet Tubman, as somebody who's from South Carolina, when she became the first woman, not just the first black woman, but the first woman to lead a major military operation. Cool. You know, I love this stuff. Uh, Well, so this story is amazing because what Harriet Tubman does is she puts together a party of secret party African-American pilots. These are guys who navigate the rivers and they know where the Confederacy has hidden mines and other explosives. Tubman gets into one of these little boats with with they have three of them on this mission. They sail up the Cumbahee. She helps them miss all these mines. And then there's a raid where they set fire to some of the most important plantations to the Confederacy's economy, uh, wow. legendary plantations, the Middleton, the Lowndes. And then they rescue 750 slaves. Wow. So it's astonishing. So lastly, I'd just like to bring you to Melissa DeVellis. DeVelvis, yes. DeVelvis. What could you tell me before we play the clip? Would Anything you want me to lay the groundwork So for? she is expert in what women did on the side of the nursing, right? This was a natural extension of what women did in the home. They became battlefield nurses. Uh, they tended to these folks. And as you probably know all about the good death, they also helped the families deal with the deaths of their loved ones. Here is uh, Melissa. These women consider themselves like they talk about the troops and they're referring to themselves. Uh, Even though they're in this horrible situation, they also have this sense of independence and productivity and patriotism that in many cases they've never had before. So it's a really interesting duality of the worst suffering they've ever seen um, and, and what I think is PTSD after the fact, but then also feeling like they're doing something and they're in the right place. Subscribe and listen starting March 19th and that is now. Uh, that's, we yes, start, we're, at, we're at the 21st now. <laughs> so that's going to be great. So we can get this now where we get our podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, you go there. You can get it at Fox. You can get it at Apple. You can get it. Where would you get the passion for history for? From? I just love reading about it. And, uh, you know, my family's been in this country for a long time, fought in the Revolutionary War, fought in the Civil War. Uh, and as I was reading these histories, I realized – I thought to myself, where are the ladies? Where are the women? Where are the girls? What were they doing? And I was curious about that. So I followed that thread, and I found these unbelievable women. Well, it's fantastic. Jerry Willis, finally, with the Fed this week. Uh, They're meeting today. They'll make an announcement this week. What would you, if they raise rates 0.25%, what does that mean? A quarter percent. uh, That's what's expected. I think people expect quarter percent right now. They had been on a half percentage point uh, uh, track if they do nothing, Katie, bar the door, I think people will read that as we don't think the banking crisis is over yet and we're nervous and worried. So watch it carefully. It's important. 
And if they, yeah, so if they do nothing, it's a problem because it looks like they know something. Yes. And if they do raise rates, it's a problem because it's just reality. Uh, because it's <laughs> Hitting your be, wallet. Yeah. Hitting a credit card close to exactly. you. Exactly. Uh, Jerry Wills, congratulations on the brand new Thank podcast, you. the Fearless and Proud Podcast. Thanks so much for the business insight and a very volatile time. Uh, you listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. We are in a very dangerous situation. We have two our two major international competitors, Russia and China, coming closer and closer together. We have a president who clearly does not have a f- clue what to do. We have a vice president who is an embarrassment and the best possible insurance policy for keeping Biden as president. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Americans need to understand, this is not a game. This is not one of those things you get on Xbox. We're in a real world faced with real crises, and we have a president who is totally out of touch with reality in terms of what's going on in the world. It doesn't do anything. We hear some of the press secretary speaking yesterday and, uh, and Admiral Kirby come out and say, well, you know, we are going to get that meeting. We didn't cancel the meeting with Secretary of State uh, Blinken. You know, the president still can get President Xi on the phone. He'll do it soon. And wait a second. They put a spy balloon over our country. They lied about what it was. They threatened us. To, they wanted it back. We blow it out of the sky. No apology. And now we're thinking about picking up the phone and calling them. People have to understand that this is this is not a tactic. It's just flat out weakness. And they're trying to get uh, more of a place in this process. They're trying to become peacemakers of the Middle East. They said they're going to push for a ceasefire with Ukraine. They're not going to have a ceasefire with Ukraine. We know that. But overall, the president's got to be in this every day. You've got to be on this every day. Here is Fred Flights, former uh, NSC chief of staff under Trump and, and under Bush. Cut 19. The deal that China negotiated between Iran and Saudi Arabia was really the Saudis using uh, the Chinese. That deal is going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. A deal between Russia and, and Ukraine will be much more difficult. Russia is prepared to accept a deal that allows it to keep territory, but Zelensky is not going to agree with that. But I will tell you, I see some value in China's deal. I think we should be talking about a ceasefire, trying to find a way to end this conflict. I don't like the, the Xi deal, and I don't think Zelensky does either. But I think it's incumbent upon President Biden to put forward his own plan, his own ceasefire plan to win this conflict. I agree. But you know what the, the, the ceasefire plan's got to be? It's got to be get the hell out of the country. I mean, the Crimea should be the – there's nobody in Ukraine. I think it's 87 percent say – Every inch, every inch back. These are the people whose relatives are being killed. These are the people that have been wounded. These are people whose houses have been destroyed. Maybe their kids have been kidnapped. And they're seeing, we're telling them, okay, get into a peace deal. No, but framing it out, what it looks like, sure. Being active on all sides, absolutely. So what do the Russians actually have left? Are they really using female prisoners, attacking with shovels in Bakhmut? Is it really true that Wagner is having a, basically an internal war with the regular army in Russia? Is that true? 
Maybe they might be more vulnerable than ever before. Working on this with the smartest people who know the region the best. To me, the guy doesn't seem engaged in anything, not in the border, not in the economy, not in the banking system, certainly not what's going on with Russia and uh, President Xi, because he doesn't want to take any questions. One thing about Trump, when we got spoiled, Bush was very comfortable with the issues. Maybe you didn't want to talk about it all the time because talking about the war when it was going south doesn't really bolster your numbers. But he knows the issues. I'm not convinced President Biden knows the issues or a way out, which you need. And this is why another another sense that you have to you have to elect somebody, somebody that has the energy to do the job 20 hours a day, seven days a week. And I'm talking about get, uh, get President Xi on the phone. we got to find out what's going on here. Tell him I want to be talking to him when you're in the plane. When we go back to Saudi Arabia, what's this deal you just did with Iran? I want personally. I want to get that ambassador over there to have a meeting. I want to get that information through. But you don't do it because for any other reason except for you want the job, you ran for the job, you think you're the best person for the job. And to do the job, you got to pick up the phone. I'm wondering why we have a State Department. As far as I could tell, they've done absolutely nothing. Getting these ambassadors confirmed is a joke for both parties. They have to reform the, the, the process. As long as the man or woman is somewhat uh, familiar with the country they serve. Woody Johnson. What does he know about England? I don't know. He runs Johnson & Johnson. Pretty impressive guy, right? Inherited it. Knows Trump. Get it. No reason to hold him up. Get him in right away. If Nancy Pelosi becomes eligible to be an ambassador to Italy, we don't have an ambassador there right now. Do not put her through eight months. We need somebody over there. Do I want Nancy Pelosi in government? No. Do I think she's terrible? Yes. Do I, do I salute her effort in her service? No. It was all selfish. In fact, she didn't produce anything even for San Francisco except for more crime. But you have to do the job. And that's why all these things are maddening. When the, when the border was a problem, I was down there three times during the Trump years. Every time it was there, they talked about the progress, the wall, the program. If you didn't like the program, you can't say they weren't doing anything. If it was too harsh, that's that's fine. That's your opinion. But you can't say I wasn't doing anything. He's not doing anything in all these areas. The hand is off the, the handlebars, and there's no way that should be an option. Thanks so much for listening to Brian Kilmeade Show. If you want any of my books, briankilmeade.com. I'm talking about the President of Freedom Fighter, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Uh, appreciate you being here. Uh, keep in mind, too, one 408 the number to call to be on the show. This hour, we're going to be joined by Lieutenant Colonel Alan West at the border of this bipartisan mission you'll learn about in a moment. Senator Marsha Blackburn will be in studio, and then we'll do a simulcast with Varney and Company. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. We're seeing uh, Mexican President Lopez Obrador saying that uh, we're not going to solve this with bullets. We're going to solve this with hugs. It's kind of silly to take an attitude like that, but in my mind, that just reinforces the idea that corruption is rampant within the Mexican government. 
Bipartisan group of lawmakers met with Mexican president and his cabinet in a desperate attempt to control our border. Progress made just highlights how inept our, our borders are. Kamala Harris is and Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas are that the group has to be taken down to themselves to deal with the broken border instead of them doing their job to begin with. Quick note, why are the Chinese coming across? The numbers are up a thousand percent year to year. Why? Number two. China is definitely taking a you know a hard look at Taiwan, and they know if they ever take any action down there, they're going to need uh, you know a counterbalance to push back on the United States. So he yep. and Putin both have a lot of common cause. Yep, relations reinforced, but war in Ukraine dominates with President Xi and Putin meeting. What does it mean for the conflict with the Ukraine, and what does it mean for U.S. relations? We'll discuss. Number one. The previous district attorney said this is something they weren't going to pursue. And even this district attorney said he wasn't going to pursue it. And then what happened? President Trump announces he's running for re-election. And Shazam, and oh, now we're going to pursue it. Trump fights back. As the grand jury here, uh, in, in right here in New York City, pushed back in Manhattan, they heard a witness that actually did not agree with Michael Cohen. While Jim Jordan invites the Democratic DA to testify in front of his committee, you just heard, of the weaponization of his office. And that's where we'll begin. Uh, first things first. This is a joke of a case. It's uh, it's comically bad. And Donald Trump and his allies have launched a blistering offensive against Manhattan District Attorney. His name is Alvin Bragg. And they, by the way, they're just going after trying to find something that happened. So they picked an affair that may or may not have happened 17 years ago, an issue that was uh, with his, uh, resulted in an NDA uh, four years ago. And now the statute of limitations are virtually done. This is a state issue. They made it a federal issue. It was called a zombie case because there was no there there. Joe Tacopina is the lawyer for Donald Trump. And he's trying to get his head around why this is about to become an issue. Cut one. There is absolutely no legal theory that matches the facts here. There's two very important things that happened. This was a settlement like any other settlement, in a, a nuisance settlement, in a, in a claim of, of this matter, where someone's claiming they had a relationship and they were going to go public with it, a.k.a. extortion, by the way. Um, but but that's no, nothing more or nothing less than what this was. It was a settlement made by a lawyer. Okay, and the lawyer subsequently um, created invoices and billed the client for much more than that um, and for other things. So Truth Social Post, the president put this out. It's been said that the sparred lawyer, Michael Cohen, was put out to dry today. That's because of Bill Costello and highly respected former attorney, legal advisor Robert Costello, made a great impression not only in the DA's office uh, for that grand jury itself. He is known to be a great lawyer and highly honorable man. What is he talking about? So this guy, uh, Costello, was told you know, testify in front of the grand jury. But unlike everybody else who wants to testify how bad Donald Trump is, Costello had a different view. Why? Because Michael Cohen was represented by Costello for a blink of an eye. And Michael Cohen, he does not believe, is a credible witness because of the role he had and how he flipped on everything he said. But just because somebody doesn't have a great track record, goes to jail for lying, doesn't mean they can't be uh, play a positive role in the conviction of somebody else. Hence, Sammy the Bull against John Gotti, both despicable guys. Got it? Understood? That's an example, an extreme example. I'm not saying either one are worthy of that comparison, but it's an example. But the problem with Costello is, according to Costello, is Michael Cohen is still lying and about something that he knows this lie will be found out about. For example, on the attorney-client privilege, cut seven. And I told them and told the grand jury today, I was deputy chief of the criminal division of the U.S. attorneys for the Southern District. I said I wouldn't touch a witness like Michael Cohn for any amount of money. 
You simply yes. cannot rely upon this guy. And tonight, he was on another station denying that he waived the attorney-client privilege. Here it is, in writing, yeah. and that's his signature on the second page. So that's unbelievable. I guess he didn't know that, and the district attorney didn't know that. And I told them, Michael Cohn has been in your office 20 times and twice in the grand jury, and he forgot to tell you that he waived the attorney-client privilege 22 times? I mean, really, is this the kind of witness yeah. you want to ride to the finish line? So here in New York City, they feel as though the NYPD has got to be on high alert, all in full uniform today, just in case there is some type of indictment. But it makes no sense. The grand jury is not in session. Tomorrow they're supposed to hear another witness. Why would you hand out an indictment of a former president, which is unthinkable anyway? Why would you do it today? But it's still going to cost a ton of overtime. All the cops are going to be there in full uniform. And just in case the Proud Boys and other QAnon and all these people show up, because the president said show up and protest. I think people learned their lesson. You don't show up and protest, it gets out of control and you go to jail. So not that you shouldn't protest, but you can don't be a part of any mob or any violence. If you do that, you've lost the case. So the question is about Donald Trump. He is leading by about 20 points, even over Ron DeSantis. So what is the deal? What is the deal is he could be looking at more trouble in Georgia on January 6th and special prosecutor Mar-a-Lago. That's basically the cases against him. But the people that are going to vote for him don't care. But at the moderate independents do. But nobody wants to. Even if you know you're right, 100% right, does anyone want to be perp-walked? Does anyone want to have cuffs on? Does anyone want to have fingerprinted? Does anyone want to be surrounded by Secret Service uh, and NYPD and be walked into court? No, no, no. So Ron DeSantis came out, and there's a lot of pressure on him, Nikki Haley, other people running against him to go to bat for him. And Ron DeSantis uh, came out and made it clear he was not in favor of this case, even though him and Trump don't seem to be talking. Cut for it. So I've seen rumors swirl. I have not seen any facts uh, yet, and so I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know this. The, the Manhattan district attorney is a Soros-funded prosecutor. And so he, like other Soros-funded prosecutors, they weaponize their office to impose a political agenda on society at the expense of the rule of law and public safety. He has downgraded over 50 percent of the felonies to misdemeanors. So they wanted to hear, hey, he's my friend and I'm going to rally around him. He's not. He went on to say this. I don't know what goes on into paying hush money to a porn star to secure silence over the some type of alleged affair. I just can't speak to that. That was considered a shot across the bar bow. And then Trump came back with something about people going to come forward with you. You're kind of young. And I remember that picture that's out about you with these, your classmate, the, the, the group of kids that you taught when you got out of the uh, military. So that's how bad and ugly it is getting Pretty clear. Nikki Haley did go to bat for the former president. Cut six. And I think what we know is when you get into political prosecutions like this, it's more about um, revenge than it is about justice. And, you know, I think the country would be better off talking about things that the American public is cares about than to sit there and have to deal with some revenge by some political people in New York. And there's no doubt about it. To me, it's a total waste of time. Uh, and it just drives me crazy. And I just think that the amount of time and effort. And if you are that goes into covering this story, if you are another candidate and if you're Mike Pompeo and Tim Scott, you're saying to yourself, do I need to get into this? 
Am I going to get any attention at all if I do get in? As talented as they are, you have to wonder if they're going to get the attention. Remember, Ben Carson at one point was saying, somebody attack me so I could respond and people would come and ask me questions again. What I love is a good offense. And I'm not, I'm not sure that Alvin Bragg will show up, but Jim Jordan made it clear he's going to be asked to show up and talk about who is financing and pushing you to take a 180 on a, on a case you walked away from last year, cut nine. And we sent this letter to Mr. Bragg saying, we want to talk to you. We want to know what's going on here. We want to see the communications that have, that have taken place between the Federal Justice Department and your district attorney's office there in, in Manhattan. Because understand, Harris, first they went after President Trump on Russia. Then it was a phone call with Zelensky. Then they wanted his tax returns. Then they go after his business records. Then they go after his children. And now it's some misdemeanor alleged bookkeeping error. That they're gonna, and this is from the prosecutor who initially didn't want to do this. In fact, he had people resign because he wasn't going to do this because no one else will bring this case. Unbelievable. I love to see him out there try to explain himself under oath. He's just a poor excuse for a human being who has let uh, uh, the, the New Yorkers in particular, much like DAs in Philadelphia and Chicago and San Francisco. Thank goodness he was, uh, he was recalled. And well, Los Angeles, he allows the people to be, uh, be targeted by career criminals. He doesn't lock them up. But you're going after a 78-year-old former president. Joke. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. When we come back inside that bipartisan meeting to go visit uh, Obrador in Mexico City yesterday, what was accomplished, what could possibly be uh, have gotten done, we'll talk about that with Lieutenant Colonel Alan West. Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. This is mainly a fact-finding mission, and you can tell because we had 12, as you pointed out, bipartisan members of the House and Senate going. Uh, This is a group that is trying to figure some way to address the problems that have been caused by the border crisis, the flow of drugs, the millions of people coming across, many of them claiming asylum only to be released, like the uh, Chinese nationals, into the interior of the country. And many of them, of course, don't appear for their court date, which could be years down the road. And that was Senator Corner, and after meeting with Obrador, talking about how bad things are going at the border. And instead of waiting for Mayorkas to do something and the lieutenant, the vice president, to show up, uh, a bipartisan group went down to meet with Obrador, who actually took it serious and got his whole cabinet together. There was Tony Gonzalez, Republican out of Texas, Veronica Escobar, a Democrat out of Texas. Uh, they went from the El Paso area. Uh, John Cornyn, as I mentioned. So they went down there and, and tried to make some progress. That's how desperate they are. I admire it. Uh, joining us now is Colonel Alan West, American Constitutional Rights Union Executive Director. Colonel, uh, what are your thoughts about lawmakers having to take things into their own hands? Well, it's good to be with you, Brian. And I find it very interesting that we had this trip going down and speaking with President Obrador, but yet when you have these hearings down there at the border, you have no Democrat members that show up for these hearings. So I don't understand, you know, why they want to go be a part of this uh, endeavor, but yet they don't want to go down there and be a part of a congressional hearing like we just saw last week with uh, Homeland Security. Uh, And I think when you talk about President 
Obrador, uh, he's starting to hear the rumblings up here in the United States of America. People are sick and tired of it, especially when you have two Americans that were killed by these cartels and a handwritten note uh, from them saying, oops, my bad, we're sorry, that's not going to cut it. So, you know, there is big concern for Mexico that eventually, maybe not in this administration, but there's going to be some serious ramifications if he does not get things under control on his side of the border. Yeah, no doubt about it. And by the way, the Border Patrol says it hit one million migrant encounters this year. Uh, so that's according to the chief. He revealed that this Gloria, um, Gloria I. Chavez. So uh, the Border Patrol and Border Patrol agent said that, I should say. So they've intercepted 13 smuggling cases, six narcotic events, 1,300 apprehensions, three firearms seized, one sexual offender, one MS-13 uh, person apprehended. Uh, in terms of what they've gotten in the last 72 hours, 13,200 apprehensions, 111 pounds of meth, 99 pounds of fentanyl, 29 pounds of coke, four sex offenders, two murderers, one first-degree assault with weapons, one convicted felon, one gang member, and two rescues. That's with parole in place that I think a court's going to overturn, and that's with Title 42, which is evaporates May 12th. We are in a world of trouble. Yes, we are in a world of trouble, and when you listen to the rhetoric that's coming out of the Biden administration, when you listen to uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre basically saying that they're trying to rectify the problems from the previous administration and their failed policies, you cannot continue to parrot that line to the American people and be taken serious when we all know what's going on. When people are living along the border here in Texas in terror about what is happening down there, I mean, you just go down to Kenny County, Brackettville, you go down to, you know, any of the uh, areas down to Del Rio, all of the places in between the ports of entry, and this is a very serious and dire situation. And on top of that, the incredible amounts of Americans that are losing their lives because of the drug poisoning, and it is a chemical war. I mean, when this is being, uh, it emanates in China and comes down through the cartels. Look, Brian, the the cartels are no different from what I saw with Iraq and Afghanistan between al-Qaeda, the Taliban, ISIS. They are a non-state, non-uniform, belligerent on a battlefield. They have to be dealt with as a terrorist organization. We have to go after their funding and financing, and we have to cut them off at the knees, or else this will continue to get even worse. Yeah, absolutely. So I wanted you to hear more from Cornyn talking about how they're trying to get some common ground. Mexico is important to the United States because we share a common border. They're our largest trading partner. Mm -hmm. Millions of jobs in America depends on that um, trade. And we're, so we're trying to figure out, you know, where can we do better? Where is common ground? And, and we, made the, we sent the message loud and clear to President Lopez Obrador and his cabinet, who we met with for four hours, that uh, the status quo was unacceptable. So at least they made their opinions known. At least there's a face behind it. So far, Abrador has been just uh, belittling and heckling Republicans, saying, I'm going to just tell all the Mexicans not to vote for you. You're never going to stay in office. It's a little bit different of a tone that they got yesterday. Yeah, well, again, I think it's important that we operate from a position of the moral high ground, and we're not doing that. I would not be down there begging Obrador to do something about the border. He doesn't really control the border. He doesn't really control those uh, those states along the border. The cartels do. And most of the police or government officials along there, they operate under the uh, approval of the cartels, if not even being on their payroll. 
So I don't think that we're talking to the right person if we want to get something to happen. I think that first and foremost, we got to show him that we're very serious about what is going on, and he can get on board or not get on board. It's kind of like what General Patton used to say, uh, leave, follow, or get the you-know-what out of my way. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, listen, Colonel, we see. I can't imagine a more important issue that's going on. Also, real quick, 30 seconds there's been a thousand percent increase of Chinese nationals crossing the border. Are they looking for yes. asylum or up to no good? Uh, I would tend to believe that there are plants looking up to, for no good, uh, just the same as the terrorists we know coming across the border. We've got to, again, get serious with China because what they're doing through the drugs and the human trafficking and sex trafficking coming across our border, this is a very preeminent issue for the future of our country. Wow. Uh, thanks so much. Colonel Allen West, I appreciate it. When we come back, Senator Marsha Blackburn in studio. Don't move. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. His mouth to your ears. It's Brian Kilmeade. We can't tolerate this lawlessness. That's all that's happening is lawlessness. And our administration has turned its, its blind eye to lawlessness, or, or excuse me, it's promoting a lawlessness. And uh, it's, uh, it's continuing to, when this all started off, uh, it was maybe one or two uh, runaways uh, a week, uh, these uh, highway uh, chases were one or two or three a week. Now they're three and four a day. That is Tully Shanahan. You probably don't know him. He's a Texas Ranger talking about what things are doing at the border in Texas, where we had a bipartisan delegation go meet with Arbador, who got his cabinet together. And the word is it was somewhat productive. Senator Marsha Blackburn with us now. You see her in studio if you're watching Fox Nation, uh, member of Finance, Judiciary, Transportation Committee out of Tennessee. Senator, great to see you. Good to see you. So the people at the border have this story. I know you know this story. How embarrassing is it to Kamala Harris, as well as Homeland Secretary Mayorkas, that you got Democrats and Republicans just demanding on their own to go see Arbador, to find out what, what is going on? And they should be going to see him. And you've got... A Homeland Security Secretary who does not believe in securing the homeland. Right. And you've got a vice president who is to be the czar that seems to not be able to figure out where the border is. She went down there once, kind of went to the wrong address. Right. But, Brian, you have members of Congress who are hearing from people in their communities, the people they represent, that this is an issue. Every town's a border town. Every state's a border state because of the drugs, the human trafficking, the sex trafficking, the way you are seeing this impact on our communities, gangs and the rising crime. All of this is related. And China with the fentanyl and then the cartel distributing the fentanyl and all the human trafficking, people from 176 different countries come into our border last year, terrorists that are being apprehended, right. Chinese nationals, uh, of 700%. Percent. Yeah. And the fact that all of this is happening and people are beginning to say, hey, wait a minute, what's going on here? You've got women that are saying, look, the drugs, the sex trafficking, the gangs, the carjackings. 
there's got to be something done about this. And the entire time, Joe Biden is asleep at the wheel, as is the rest of his administration. Are you surprised he wants to run four more years? I I am. I'm not surprised. I think that you've got the Biden family that needs Joe in elective office in order for them to have have a job. They know that this is this. He can't do it anymore. I mean. But you've got the you've got the group around Biden, uh, the old Obama team, and they seem to be making a lot of the decisions. And I think they're happy with running the uh, country by committee. They said they were going to radically transform this country. Right. That was their goal, and they are hard at work at it. And we are fighting them every single Why day. Why are a thousand Chinese getting there? Are they are these people just saying my life is horrible? I was going to be with the Uyghurs. I escaped ahead of time. Or do they just feel as though they want to come here and infiltrate? The concern is that they are trying to infiltrate because you look at the number of terrorists that have been apprehended. You look at the number of convicted criminals Mm -hmm. that have been apprehended. You look at the number of MS-13 gang members that have been apprehended. Brian, these are the ones we know. Yeah. But then you've got the gotaway. Since Joe Biden went into office, there are over one and a half million known gotaways. One and a half million. It is amazing. Think of the number of terrorists and Chinese nationals and criminals and gang members that are in that number. Think about the pounds of drugs. You know, they're not it's not grams of drugs coming across the border now. Fentanyl is coming over by the pound. Fourteen thousand pounds were apprehended last year. So, yeah, that's what's coming across right now. So we have uh, the other thing on the international front. President Xi is uh, meeting with Vladimir Putin again today, four hours yesterday, at which time we're sure they're going to reinforce their uh, their relationship. And Lindsey Graham was here last hour and really believes that they're going to start getting lethal weapons from China. They're willing to take any blowback that we might give them or Europe might give them. What could we do now to get their attention? Well, first of all, Joe Biden should pick up the phone and call Xi Jinping. This business of sending Blinken or Yellen or Ramondo, uh, that is just not good policy. They have not apologized for a balloon. Well, he needs to call him and say no more floating balloons and spying on us. You've got to come clean on COVID. You've got to give us some answers and stop this fentanyl trafficking that you're doing. And... Uh, stop surveilling American people. And he should say, if you don't, that trade deficit, we had a trillion dollars of trade. Think about that. They imported to the U.S. a trillion dollars more than we exported to them. That was the imbalance. He should say, look, we're going to start nearshoring. We're going to start reshoring. We're going to get busy on this, and you are not going to have that as a robust market. So John Kirby was asked about this whole thing about the legal uh, drugs that are coming through and the fentanyl that's there, and that Obrador last week said that we probably came up with it and we're blaming him. Here's John Kirby yesterday when asked about this. Cut 17. We still don't believe that China's taking it off the table. We still don't believe and haven't seen any indication that they're moving in that direction or they've made a decision to provide or that they're actually going to do that. Uh, we continue to believe it's not in China's best interest to do that, to help Mr. Putin slaughter innocent Ukrainians. So I, I just I know he's there to spin. But where's the strength in that? I mean, we're always uh, asking, acquiescing. And until they come clean on the balloon, should we be even meeting with them, period? You know, we've got to realize they think Joe Biden is weak. 
Mm-hmm. They think this administration is weak. And when people start spinning, you know that they are trying to cover up what they know is wrong. I think that is what John Kirby is doing. And when it comes to this with Putin and she and the relationship that they're forming and the fact that Putin is saying he can oversee this new world order, they're doing that because they don't think Joe Biden will do anything to them. They're continuing the partnership with the cartels, who, by the way, are making hundreds of millions of dollars every week, ruining Americans' lives, killing Americans. Uh, they are abusing mentally, physically, emotionally, sexually, drug abusing these people that are coming across the border. And the cartels have operational control of that border on the Mexico side. Nobody and nothing comes without their blessing. Right. And so far, we understand that Arbador, just by some of his comments, he might have been taking payoffs from these guys because he's uh, more critical of us. Where during the Trump years, he was the last world leader, I think, to acknowledge that Trump lost. He really seemed to like Trump. Because you may not agree with Donald Trump, but you knew where he stood. And you knew that he was going to draw a line, and then if you cross that line, he was going to come after you. And Donald Trump and Mike Pompeo as Secretary of State, these world leaders knew if they were an ally or an enemy, it was pretty predictable, and they knew that there would be hell to pay if they crossed the line. And so they worked with the United States during that time. Yeah, it's, a, it's just interesting what's going on. So President Xi, what could we do to get his attention, letting him know that this would be a problem? Is there a chance that NATO and the EU be prepared to start divesting rapidly the, the products and the manufacturing? I know Italy would probably be the hardest because they seem to be so a part of the garment industry there. Well, what what we all need to be looking at is how we nearshore, friendshore, reshore, and move some of this uh, manufacturing out. Bear in mind, it is the export market, the manufacturing market that keeps the Chinese economy going. And the fact that the Chinese are able to bankroll part of this that's going on in Russia. They buy Russia's oil and gas. They are helping to pay for Iran to manufacture drones in Russia. It's unbelievable. And so these guys are building up their reach. China is expanding their Belt and Road Initiative. They're into Honduras and Brazil and Chile. And How now over to happen? the Saudi Arabia's because they're asleep at the wheel. So none and of this was they happening don't want to challenge. Uh, no, it, you had Belt and Road going on, Chile. but you had they were they were not expanding at the pace that they are now. And they were kind of sitting quiet under Donald Trump. And they weren't out here trying to expand the Belt and Road Initiative. They were not moving as quickly in great power competition. And uh, the fact that they now are so incredibly aggressive, they feel like, yes, there will be a change in 2024. And they've got to get at it. While they have the time. Do you are uh, when you go to get at it, when you go back to Tennessee, is Broadway just for tourists or do you go? 
When people come to visit you, they all want to go. Does, do you go? Yes. Well, there are some places down on Broadway that we occasionally visit. Right. There's a good band that we want to hear, or there's an event that is going on. But it's always mobbed, the right? The Symphony Center is down there. Well, actually, you know, in Nashville, there are more bachelor and bachelorette parties that take place there than anywhere. I know. But, I... you know, the Country Music Hall of Fame has great events, and we'll occasionally go there. We do a lot with the symphony. We enjoy going there, too. Uh, Senator Blackburn, not just for tourists anymore. Broadway in, in Nashville. Thanks so you much, Senator. It. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney & Company with Stuart Varney. Live on your radio and on Fox Business, here's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm going to go on TV in a matter of moments. You get to see what the studio looks like, what I look like, what I'm wearing. I'll be on the five a little bit later, too. That'll be kind of cool. Uh, we're going to talk about what's going on, too, um, as uh, we talk about the COVID vaccines. We talk about uh, what's going on with uh, Anthony Fauci and other things to that nature. And we also have Alvin Bragg uh, firing back at Donald Trump and the would-be at Donald Trump's team, as well as Republicans asking for him to testify. So let's listen in together on the screen on the right hand side there he is okay brian uh, I, bear with me i just want you to watch this video for a minute it's dynamite dr anthony fauci and mayor bowser of dc didn't get a good reception while trying to push the covid vaccine this is 2021 roll the tape please i'm not going to be lining up taking a shot on a vaccination for something that wasn't clear in the first place. The only yeah. reason I'm talking to you right now, well, as close as we are, is that I've been vaccinated. When you start talking about paying people to get vaccinated, when you start talking about incentivizing things to get people vaccinated, there's something else going on with that. It's about inciting fear in people. You all attack people with fear. That's what this pandemic is. I heard that it doesn't um, cure it and it doesn't um, stop you from getting it. No. So, on the very, very, very rare chance that you do get it, even if you're vaccinated, it's a very, you don't even feel sick. It's like you don't even know you got infected. It's very, very good at protecting you. Uh, yeah, but you did get it several times after you've been vaccinated. That's the whole problem here, isn't it? In hindsight, Brian, that just doesn't look good, does it? Right, it doesn't. Going door to door and the same things that we hear when people talk to us, what we talk about yep. all the time, that would get, if you, if you tweeted about it, you'd get shadow banned or banned, or you'd get warned or just flat out uh, uh, sidelined from Facebook. If you said you had some questions being irresponsible, it's misinformation. But was that guy showing uh, irresponsibility or is he being honest? You're paying me to get vaccinated. You're, do, you're haranguing me to get vaccinated. You're not taking into account natural immunity. We're never looking at studies when it comes to masks. We're talking about that six feet, nine feet uh, apart. You just made that up under, under this whole cloth. And to see that Anthony Fauci was getting some of it on the streets, I was shocked to see it. I can understand it at first when we didn't know what we were dealing with. But after we got into it, uh, the, the, the truth should have been apparent and we should have been honest about it. I, I just have to move on to the Trump thing. Law enforcement tells Fox that uh, they don't expect uh, Donald Trump to be arraigned uh, today, maybe next week. Brian, let's suppose that an indictment does come down. Let's suppose that, okay? What impact on the 2024 election? Well, number one, everybody's either either Donald Trump or talking about Donald Trump 
that may yeah. or may not be in the race, from Nikki Haley to Vivek Ramaswamy to uh, Tim Scott to uh, Mike Pompeo, I've not heard much from, but Mike Pence has been forced to weigh in, and Governor DeSantis weighed in about Donald Trump, who happens to be the front runner. I will say this. There might be some short-term gain. I mean, look at how thin this case is. It's pure politics. I don't care. Even Democrats know it. They don't even know what to do with this case. It was a zombie case without substance of an incident that happened 17 years ago. That's why you're going after the foreign president? You could throw somebody in the tracks here and get killed and get a warning or a, or a desk appearance. But Or you could, uh, if you're a bodega owner, you defend yourself. They'll put you in Rikers Island. But if the CFO of the Trump organization, if you're a former president who used to live here and help uh, grow the economy, you're a target. No one buys it. But when you look at when you look at the big picture here, Alvin Bragg is just fired back. We understand when told that you're going to be coming in front of Congress to defend yourself for this case and find out who's paying you to bring this case forward. I think overall, though, no matter how you spin it, seeing a president of the United States getting fingerprinted, putting a mugshot out there. Terrible for the country and long term, not good for the president. He's got three more cases coming up. Atlanta, the uh, January 6th, as well as Mar-a-Lago. If that results in more indictments, terrible for the country. I mean, that's something they do in Pakistan that they might try to do in Brazil. You have a a leader that you you deposed, you beat, and then you arrest that leader. So that's what's happening here. And that's the perception as we try to grow democracy around the world. Yep, and it's bad for our country. It really is. Yeah. Brian Kilmeade, thank you, as always, for All being right. here. Good Thanks. stuff, Brian. Thanks a lot. one 866 I see you out there, uh, too. And it's just, uh, it's insane uh, what's coming. So here's what Alvin Bragg just said. A scathing letter on possible Trump indictment. We will not be intimidated. He said, we'll not be intimidated by attempts to undermine the Justice Department. We will not let baseless accusations deter us from fairly applying the law. In every prosecution, we follow the law without fear or favor to uncover the truth. Our skilled, honest, dedicated lawyers remain hard at work. This is all not true. And this is in response to Jim Jordan and other top Republicans on the administration committees. They sent a letter to Bragg demanding that he turn over documents related to the Trump investigation and testify before Congress after reports said that Trump uh, could face indictment. And it could happen as early as Tuesday. Now, look, Bob Costello went in there and he said there's a whole different story than the one Michael Cohen's telling. And Michael Cohen, he says, is an inveterate liar who is scared to death of going to jail. Cut seven. And I told them and told the grand jury today I was deputy chief of the criminal division of the U.S. attorneys for the Southern District. I said I wouldn't touch a witness like Michael Cohen for any amount of money. You simply cannot rely upon this guy. And tonight he was on another station denying that he waived the attorney-client privilege. Here it is, in writing, and that's his signature on the second page. So I guess he didn't know that, and the district attorney didn't know that. And I told them, Michael Cohn has been in your office 20 times and twice in the grand jury, and he forgot to tell you that he waived the attorney-client privilege 22 times? Insane. really, is this the kind of witness you want to ride to the finish line? Right. That's insane that he'd be caught lying again. You can't say, well, I was caught up with Trump. I was doing subtly. The water got just gradually got hotter until I realized how bad it was after I was arrested, had my office besieged. By the way, we still don't know why they thought it was so necessary to ransack his office while President Trump was in office. And Michael Cohen was already bitter that he wasn't brought to the White House by the president. The president said, you know, you're better off just staying here with my company. He was upset about that. Then they get raided. And then they just say he has no money for his own defense and stupidly 
Trump didn't step up and say, we'll take care of it. Just keep your mouth shut like the CFO and everybody else. But they didn't do that. Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Go to briankilmeade.com. Order any of my books. I could personalize it and send it out. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moment to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming up a little bit later, I'll be on the five. If you haven't had enough of me, it'll be great. We're just getting the rundown in now. Uh, keep in mind, this hour I'm going to be joined by... Um, I'm going to be joined by Jonathan Turley, who's standing by, as well as John Smoltz, one of the greatest pitchers of his generation, who's turned into a great broadcaster as we go on the cusp of all these rule changes, another Major League Baseball season. And I'll tell you what, I've enjoyed the World Baseball Classic. There's no doubt about it. So before we go any further, we've got to get with us soon developments on the Trump case. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We're seeing uh, Mexican President Lopez Obrador saying that uh, we're not going to solve this with bullets. We're going to solve this with hugs. It's kind of silly to take an attitude like that. But in my mind, that just reinforces the idea that corruption is rampant within the Mexican government. Stephen Murphy, former DEA agent, talking about uh, the who bought, actually brought down Escobar, the need to crack down on what's happening in Mexico. We'll discuss the bipartisan group that went down there and says progress was made. Number two. China has definitely taken a you know a hard look at Taiwan, and they know if they ever take any action down there, they're going to need uh, you know a counterbalance to push back on the United States. So he yep. and Putin both have a lot of common cause. Yep, Lieutenant Colonel Daniel Davis. Relations reinforced, but war in Ukraine dominates with Putin Xi's meeting. What does it mean for the last two days that they had a chance to meet? And what are they hatching? We'll, we'll project. Number one. The previous district attorney said this is something they weren't going to pursue. And even this district attorney said he wasn't going to pursue it. And then what happened? President Trump announces he's running for re-election. And Shazam, no, now we're going to pursue it. And that is Jim Jordan, who's made a move. Trump fights back as grand jury now hears pushback in Manhattan while Jim Jordan invites the Democratic DA to testify in front of his committee over the weaponization of his office. With me right now is Jonathan Turley, who was scrambled on Saturday like me uh, because it looked like the president of the United States through Truth Social was saying he's going to be indicted today. Uh, The constitutional law professor used his expertise. But, Jonathan, it's not happening today, is it? No, it's more likely to happen next week, but they have more uh, testimony today, so it seems highly doubtful. All right. So also, do you know who we're hearing from? You know, there's a rumor that Cohen might be going uh, to the grand jury today, uh, but we're really not clear. We just had the testimony of Costello, who was a rebuttal witness, uh, telling the grand jury essentially not to believe Michael Cohen. So the prosecutors may be reinforcing Cohen's uh, testimony and and evidence. Uh, Yeah, I mean, how many times is he going to speak to the grand jury? Will this be the first time or the hundredth time? I I, I thought he's been speaking nonstop for five years. Yeah, he's been certainly a frequent flyer in in, in these uh, testimonies. Uh, But look, this guy is really Johnny the Human Torch of witnesses. I mean, he's he'll do fine in a grand jury where there's no opposing lawyer. But once he gets into cross-examination in a real court of law, it's going to be a target-rich environment. So this is – I was shocked by Robert Costello. How significant is it that the former legal advisor to Michael Cohen – 
who got his attorney-client uh, privilege released by Cohen himself. How unusual is it that he gets a chance to speak in front of the grand jury? This is really unheard of. When I first saw his statement, I have to tell you, I, I was somewhat repelled. I mean, the, as a criminal defense attorney, I just don't like to see, even with waivers, attorneys calling out former clients. It, it's not good for the legal system. But Cohen actually may have made this worse by going on uh, a, a, a network and saying that he doesn't remember ever signing any waiver of attorney-client privilege, and he doesn't think that Costello was his lawyer. Costello then went on Tucker Carlson and held up <laughs> a waiver uh, and said this is Cohen's signature. Now, that could prove actually somewhat damaging because Cohen, of course, is going to be examined on his long history of lies and fraudulent conduct. But just before the prosecution, he's now added another such claim. I mean, either he forgot what would normally be a major legal moment when you're waiving attorney-client privilege, or um, he was misleading the public again. But either way, he could face this in cross-examination, and they could call Costello as a rebuttal witness. Now, with the grand jury, you usually want to, if you're the DA, put on people that back up your case, correct? So that's why Costello going up there was unusual. He could easily have said, no, I don't want to do this, correct? He didn't have to put Costello in front of the grand jury. Well, there's a couple of reasons to do it. One is to convey that this wasn't a railroad operation where the the grand jury heard no opposing views, because it really doesn't matter that prosecutors largely control grand juries. And it's unlikely to change their mind. The second reason is it gives the prosecutors a free look at what could be a damaging rebuttal witness. So they've got him uh, in testimony, and they can use that to rebut his testimony if he makes any changes at trial. So I want you to hear what Jim Jordan plans on doing. Cut 14. I'm sorry, cut 10. That's a concern for us. We want to know what kind of communications may have taken place between the Justice Department and because remember, the Justice Department didn't bring this case. They, they weren't going to do it. No right. one was going to do this until Mr. Bragg came along. Uh, that to me is, 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 a, is a real concern here. So he's going to ask Bragg to come in, for, from, in front of his committee and he try to explain why this is worthy of our time and his time and who basically is put him up to it if there is anybody. Is, have you ever seen anything like that? No. And look, I'm a huge critic of this uh, upcoming indictment. I think it's deeply flawed, and I believe it is a political prosecution. However, I'm not crazy about Congress pulling in prosecutors either. I mean, this is not the first prosecutor to yield to political temptation. I would prefer to leave it to the courts, quite frankly. Uh, now, there is a danger here for Trump. This is an absolute nightmare of a jury pool. Yep. And, you know, New York judges have a tough decision to make. I mean, for a New York judge to dismiss a case like this would border on self-immolation. I mean, it, it, it would not go over well uh, with New Yorkers. I guess uh, I guess some in Manhattan, but some other, I'd like to think there's reasonable people who think this is absolutely ridiculous. Are we going to have a situation, Jonathan, where we're going to see his fingerprinting and his mugshot next week? We could. What's interesting is that uh, Bragg said, I'm not going to let you do a virtual arraignment. And the question is why? This is not just another defendant. You know, this is something that no doubt the Secret Service requested. 
Uh, it's a bad situation for the Secret Service uh, to move someone through these crowds, uh, to have this sort of circus at the courthouse. But it's great for Bragg. And, you know, he, he this is his moment. He may lose the case, but he'll win the politics of the moment if he can force Trump to go through this undignified process. See, I, I don't know. If, do you really see it that way? There's a lot of reasonable people who think this is totally unreasonable outside the, the partisans. Well, that's the, that's the issue, though, is that Bragg is just playing to New Yorkers. That's not the that's not America. I mean, that's the, these are New Yorkers that defeated Trump by over 40 points. And so for him, the politics are obvious and they're good, even if the case gets thrown out. He's unlikely to be blamed by New Yorkers. This is a thrill-kill prosecution, and he knows it. Now, for other people who are not partisan, then, yeah, they, a lot of us are looking at this and going, my God, you know, there are some legitimate questions raised in other cases that you can agree or not agree with. But this is way beyond the pale. But that's not the audience that Brad, Bragg is playing to. So I want you to hear the Georgia case. Trump's Georgia lawyers are seeking to quash this special grand jury. As sources say, the Fulton County prosecutors probing election now seek to question Trump's attorney. So where are we at in that process? And will the quash be successful? Yeah, it's probably not going to be successful. You know, the Georgia case represents more of a threat, but I think it's also very weak. I've always said that the greater threat for Trump remains Mar-a-Lago. The the allegations there are well-established charges, well-established case law. That's a serious threat. Georgia is serious in that they're making a conventional claim here for a criminal indictment. I just think that the evidence doesn't support it. I mean, that they're, they're ultimately going to base this in large part on a conversation. It was sort of like a settlement uh, negotiation with the other side. And they would have to try to get the jury to adopt um, only one interpretation of this line where he says you only need to find 15,000 votes it, to say go and make them up. There's a perfectly good alternative interpretation yeah. that he was trying to say if you do a statewide survey – it doesn't require a lot of votes to, to be overturned for me to get a new election because I'm only 15,000 votes away. That's a per- Since this was a settlement discussion, that's a perfectly valid point to raise. Yeah, I 100% agree. The Mar-a-Lago one, I'm under the impression that it might be neutralized because in the big picture, they know the uh, – they know that Merrick Garland has an investigation into the current president and former vice president, and it got so far that they actually raided or took uh, documents from his lawyer's Boston office. So they took that. They went to both his homes. They took his office uh, stuff, um, his uh, University of Pennsylvania office. And you're really going to go in there and go after the former president for documents that they were negotiating on? I thought that might neutralize that case. You don't feel that way? I'm not so certain. I think that it should. I think that Merrick Garland has the final word, even with the special counsel in the field, actually two, he ultimately makes the decision on what justice demands. And that that inquiry includes whether this is consistent with other cases. The problem with Mar-a-Lago is that it doesn't have just the unlawful possession of classified material. If that were the case, I'd say it was a dead letter. But the FBI has primarily focused on 
the obstruction claims, that there were false statements given to by the FBI and the allegation that these were made with Trump's knowledge. We don't know the evidence there, but I wouldn't necessarily say that that's a dead letter, uh, particularly with a special counsel, because they tend to want to see charges. Generally, special counsels don't like to do this for recreation. Unbelievable what's going on. Uh, Jonathan Turley, thanks so much. Thank you, Steve. You got it. Jonathan Turley, we're wearing him out uh, because of all these fast-moving developments. And in New York City, the mayor, Mayor Adams, is uh, monitoring social media and NYPD because the NYPD is preparing ahead of the uh, possible indictment. They're trying to see what movement could be taking place, what rallies might be happening, what protests might be taking root because he's going to have to set up his security forces against it because it's to everybody's, to everybody's advantage if there's no violence. And if there's going to be a welling up of Trump supporters or detractors, he's got to control it. And Alvin Bragg, or thanks to Truth Social's Donald Trump and his posting, now he's got plenty of notice. And evidently everybody's in full uniform today in New York City ready for the worst, but there's going to be no. doesn't look like anything's coming down today. We probably would have known already. I'll take your phone calls in just a moment, 1-866-408-7669. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day. On the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I I will get so much that goes on with these press briefings. Number one, how this woman is able to go out to his press secretary, Gershine Jean-Supierre, so ill-prepared, never briefed, never in any of the meetings, nothing ever flows naturally. And then she decides in a time that's so consequential, the president's never available, answers need to be done, stories need to be completed. They march out with the Ted Lasso crew, including uh, Jason Sudeikis. So with the four or five of them behind him, they were there at the White House talking about psych- or, or depression or psychology or whatever it was, uh, getting mental illness or getting yourself handled, whatever it was about therapy. And with them behind him, all of a sudden, all hell breaks loose when Simon Atibi of Nigeria, an African representative, black guy, cannot get any attention. Evidently, puts his hand up all the time. They don't call him. How could that be? You have briefings every day. How could you not call on him? And can you imagine if the Trump administration was not calling on him? Can you imagine what they've been saying? But instead, the press corps actually turns on Simon instead of turning on Karine Jean-Pierre. Cut 29. What you are doing, you are making a mockery of the first amendment. It's been seven months. You've not called on me. No, my message is, I'm saying that that's not right. Times. Welcome, it is I'm not understand Simon. that you get questions all the time and you don't what understand what it is to sit here for eight months and being discriminated hey, against. You, understand you, you that you're in the front and you feel comfortable and you get questions all the time. And there are people in the back who don't get any questions. Don't make assumptions about what the rest of us do. Mind your manners when you're in here. If you have a problem, you bring it up afterwards. Yeah, what do you mean, mind your manners? Remember when they jumped on John Roberts for not sticking up for somebody because Trump didn't answer their question? They got on John Roberts for that. This guy's saying something it seems to me to be totally valid. 
He's saying, why don't you call me at all ever for seven months? Can you imagine sitting there not being called on? Because, you know, I'm sure you have things to say. Also, I guess the first lady and the vice president's going to be going to Africa. Wouldn't you like to know what they're talking about over in Nigeria with the brand new election, which I think is consequential because it could be a terror state? Don't you think that matters? So listen to what she says back. Cut 30. What has just occurred this last 10, 15 minutes is unacceptable. It's concru- it, it is unacceptable. So we're going to so we're either going to continue the briefing or we can just end the briefing right here. Wow. You really hurt my feelings. So the uh, Simon of TV went on with Tucker last night to describe it. Cut 32. And so what has been happening in the White House is in the past seven months, I've done all the right things. I've not been called on. I've gone to her office to seek a meeting. She said that she will meet with me next year. I've sent questions about the Nigerian election, about, you know, the problems, challenges in Africa. And, and they've not called on me, even as the vice president is going to Africa, even as the first lady, Jill Biden, went to Africa. Even when they received 50 African leaders for the U.S.-African summit in Washington, D.C., the guy who covers the White House... The African guy who covers the White House is looked down upon in the greatest country in the world. So that's uh, Simon at TV. Listen, maybe there's another side of the story. I don't see it. Just call on him. I don't even know what he's going to bring up. He might just come and say, thank goodness, Joe Biden's president, not Donald Trump. But he won't add, and he's now uh, on Twitter. He just put this out uh, one hour ago. He says, thank you to the 20,000 new Twitter followers who joined me after my interview on Tucker Carlson tonight. Despite attacks, I will not disappoint you. They have told you that I'm a bad guy who goes to the briefing room to yell questions. That is false and will perhaps um, and will perhaps become the best person you follow. I've explained my social media principles many times. I will not look down to anyone because they think they have no money, no name, no recognition, not too many followers. Some people just want to be private. I've never discriminated against anyone because of their gender, race, sexual orientation. Seems like a good guy. I mean, I just think you can squeeze in a question from an African reporter. Wouldn't you think? In this politically correct world we live in, it's a pretty important continent, I thought. All right, when we come back, I'm going to talk to John Smoltz, but end with all your calls. Uh, you'll listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Busy day. Big. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There he goes, looks back at Otani. The pitch is hit to left center field. And the crowd goes wild, as they did on Saturday night when the U.S. came back, or actually jumped out early and then came back to win against Venezuela, putting them in the World Baseball Classic final. And they'll be playing Japan as Otani of the Angels was able to get that key hit. John Smoltz knows all about it. He's been doing the broadcasting of the World Baseball Classic, and he's a Hall of Fame Major League Baseball pitcher. Now coming into a, one of the game's finest analysts, who's also a fantastic golfer, and he'll be talking about that shortly, uh, now for the Major League Baseball Network. Uh, John, welcome back. Yeah, it's good to have me. Thanks. Uh, this has been uh, March is always, is always a great month, but it's usually around the March Madness. 
now in the middle of March Madness is the WBC. This is the first time I really have had a chance to watch. I mean, the last one was in 2017. That's where it's supposed to be every four years or or, or every few years. So I, I'm loving this. Uh, the crowd certainly loves it. The players seem to love it. Describe to what is it like for you? It's amazing in the sense that you realize globally there's a lot of great stars, right? In other countries, like great stories, Great Britain qualifying, winning a game, qualifying again for next year. It changes their baseball federation. We take for granted that Major League Baseball has always been in the U.S. So players here, not that they're apathetic, it's just their job of 162 games is kind of commanded and demanded by their bosses and their teams. So some get to go, some don't, some are all in, some not. When it comes to the other countries, the the, the emotion, the passion, imagine they're playing another country in the U.S. for their real job, but then they get a chance to play for their countrymen where they were born, and you're going to see excitement and emotion like you've never seen before. It's easier to do that in a tournament than it is 162. And so with that comes a great storylines, great um, opportunity to rejoin with teammates uh, or rejoin with, with people that you grew up playing baseball with. So that's been amazing. But the U.S., has put together a really good offensive lineup and the stars are in that lineup, maybe not full roster stars yet. And the fact that they're in the championship against an incredible Japan team is going to be must see TV. It's the most disciplined baseball I've ever seen for Japan over the years. They're in unison with each other. They wear the same suit, the same tie, the same shirt on the plane over here. And, um, They've won it twice, so it's going to be great baseball. But in a, in a nutshell, there's storylines and emotions that cannot be matched in a regular season game, and that's why it's unique. Uh, by the way, we're talking to John Smoltz. He's uh, we're all set to have the final tonight, the World Baseball Classic, seven o'clock on Fox Sports One. That'll be in Eastern Time. It'll be the Arizona Diamondbacks right-hander Merrill Kelly. He'll start this game uh, for the U.S. U. Darvish uh, gets the nod for Japan. And it's going to be fun. The U.S. Uh, had their way with Cuba 14-2 to in the epic battle with Japan. You just heard some of that. Here's a, here's a little of Saturday night. Uh, this is the Grand Slam uh, that, if in case you missed it because you were out, and maybe it was a uh, date night, here's how it sounded. Turner drives the ball to left center field. Back it goes. It's gone again on a team full of stars. None shining brighter than Trey Turner. Yeah, that was Trey Turner. Uh, so they beat, uh, they go on to beat Cuba, but the real drama was against Venezuela. That was a heck of a game. Hey, John, I talk about what it is like being an elite player and a pitcher, but having to have that midseason form, perhaps, because you care so much in March. Would you have been able to have done that with, with your makeup? I know you'd want to, but would you worry about exhausting yourself for the season or straining something? Well, here's the approach that I would adopt, and I would encourage everybody else to adopt it, and it even applies to life and business and everything. If you think something's going to happen, then it's going to happen. So if you're, if you're worried about, you know, what if I get hurt? What if I do this? I've said this all the time. There's two reasons that you wouldn't want to compete in this tournament. If you're coming off an injury or you pitch deep into the World Series, as a pitcher, that is. So you can understand those two components. Everything else is a mindset. If your mindset is, I know I got to get ready. I'm not doing anything that's different other than the intensity and the execution probably pays attention to it. And, and you'd want to get outs more than you were in the regular season game or, or spring training. This is what I say. We get guys hurt in spring training all the time and we're numb to it. 
But if somebody gets hurt in the WBC, it's like tenfold. It's got a, a bullseye on it. And I get it. The most important thing for a player is to get ready for 162. But once every four years or every three years when this comes around, you've got to adopt the personality and attitude that I'm in, all in. And there's no in-between. I don't got one foot over here and one foot over here. And I think the players that come realize this experience is so incredible. They spread the word. Mike Trout will be spreading the word to everybody he knows that said, the next time this comes around, you know, you've got to do this. It's, it's, it's fun. <clears throat> and with it comes like anything else. It comes the, the, when you go to spring training, there was never one time yep. I went to spring training thinking I was going to get hurt or if I did this or did that, I would get hurt. So I hope, I hope in the future that that eases from the players to the clubs um, mm-hmm. It eases that, that that tension that builds when you think about WBC in March. So Edwin Diaz got hurt, obviously, celebrating Puerto Rico's victory, celebrating the victory. So when the top five closers in baseball is out for the year for the Mets, that's what, of course, you're referring to. Uh, so, But people, right. like you said, get hurt, hurt all the time. So, John, this year, have you had a chance to really examine what this pitch clock's going to be look like, the bigger bases, the lack of shift? Can you give everybody at home an idea of what we're going to be in for come opening day? It's going to be phenomenal. I know a lot of people are not happy with some of the things that's changed all at once with baseball. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be the best thing that ever happens in the sport. Mark my words. At the end of the year, people are going to go, wow. The game's going to be crisper. There's going to be more action. There's going to be more athleticism. The strategy will still be there. Analytics will still be there. But the game will be played at a faster pace, which it, it desperately had to get to. It was taking too long. This WBC, as exciting as it is, has not played with those rules, and it's three hours and 50, three hours and 40 minutes. Now, an exciting game, nobody really has that kind of an issue with time, but if you just go over the course of data over the last few years, games have gone longer and longer and longer. So this is going to be the best thing that ever happened. I call it the unintended consequences of these rule changes will supersede anything that you thought beforehand of why, how dumb this is, because you're going to see singles again, action. You're going to see defensive greatness and you're just going to see a game that's played 20 to 30 minutes less time. That means over the course of 162, the players, I forget, somebody told it up, how many hours that they'll be off their feet in 162, which in essence will help their recovery and injury prevention as well. Yeah, I know the, you know, the players, I never thought about that until I talked to John Lester last week. He was saying that to get off your feet is really going to help an hour early. I never thought about it. But what about tosses to first? What is the rule there? How many times can a pitcher go to first with, to, hold a, to hold a run on? So per at bat, you get two times to throw over to first. If you throw over a third time and you do not pick him off, he goes automatically to second. So there'll be some strategy there. Now it resets when a batter, a new batter comes to the plate. But the idea of unlimited throwovers and unlimited mound visits and all these things that kind of suck the action out of the game, they're trying to create and, and entice. Look, the game, nobody steals anymore. We don't have athleticism in our game. Speed is not a priority because of analytics and what it values and the out and the percentage it takes to get a successful steal. The base is being bigger. Now the rules being the way they are, you're going to change your roster again, and you're going to have athleticism in our sport. It's not going to be station to station and bully ball. And I think that is going to be more exciting for teams that cannot compete, let's say, at the level financially of the highest market teams. But now they have a way to compete with different ways of playing the game. And that truly is what makes baseball special. Do you think also will 
we'll be seeing uh, outfielders then who hit for average who might have some speed where usually you say, well, if I don't have some power in the outfield, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. Now you could say the Louis Polonias of the world, you know, those people who make contact, they'll have a, there'll be more of a market for them. Absolutely. With the fact that you can't um, bunch everybody together on a pole hitter. And the fact that now that you're, this has been my biggest complaint. If Brian Kilmeade was the best shortstop in the New York Yankees, I have a competitive advantage using him at shortstop. But if everybody's playing in a shift, my competitive advantage goes away. We're truly now going to see who's the best shortstop, best second baseman. You're going to have definitive advantages over the other team. Whereas now, before, there was no advantage. You could hide a second baseman who was not a really good defender but could swing the bat in a shift. Good luck doing that now. And to your point, you'll have more speed at the top of the lineup if you want. And you'll have more contact. These guys will have a job again, and they'll be an asset because stealing a base late in the game or stealing a base now should be a little easier because pitchers don't hold runners and runners didn't go. So now we got that combination back. I got John Smoltz here, and John is a, uh, is a great golfer. Always, when every time you think about a, a player and a golfer in a celebrity tournament, you always think John Smoltz. Even though you got a new hip, you finished sixth last year. Now it's uh, the second annual Invited Celebrity Classics, nationally televised PGA Tour uh, Champions Competition, 78 PGA Champions and 40 sports and entertainment stars. It's coming up in a few weeks, April 23rd, 21st to 23rd, at the Las Colinas Country Club in Irving, Texas. 54 holes of stroke play for a purse of $2 million. Uh, How much are you looking forward to this? I'm like a little kid again, man. I've been playing hurt for the last three years, and it's been no fun. I've tried to have fun. I'm the most competitive guy you'll ever meet. And now I got a new hip, six weeks old, and I'm swinging the club. And and, and obviously it's going to be a little fresh for me in a couple, few weeks to try to change, change my game and get it ready. But I am so excited to play in this event. And it really has stoked my competitive fire again. It That, that flame went out. I still have to do my other hip. But um, everybody who told me when I get this get this hit done, they said, you're going to love it, and I have. And so now I'm playing golf again. Anytime they have a leaderboard and a scoreboard, I want to <laughs> be on the top of it. And so that's my mindset. So you finished uh, six last year. Romo, Marty Fish, Annika Sorenstam, Adam Thielen, and uh, Derek Lowe. Uh, in it this year, so Tony Romo, I hear, is excellent. Annika Sorenstam obviously is great. Paul Host just retired. Emmett Smith, Brian Urlacher, uh, Robbie Gold, kicker. Pudge Rodriguez still out there. Greg Maddox, who you know quite well. So this is this is fun. I mean, I imagine in between uh, in between rounds is going to be as much fun as the rounds. There's no doubt. And Tony Romo, of course, that's his backyard. He lost in a playoff to Marty Fish last year. I know he wants to play 18 as bad as I want to play 18. 18 did not serve me well last year. It's a par five. It's enticing. You go for it in two. There's water. It's no different than a hitter I couldn't get out. Every year I look forward to the, facing that team to get that hitter out. I'm looking forward to number 18 at Las Colinas Country Club. And when I get there, I hope I can uh, make the adjustments to score better on that hole. Now, who's got the TV rights to this? The Golf Channel will have it. And uh, the Golf Channel, and I, they uh, cover uh, the Champions Tour throughout the year. And so it'll be live on the Golf oh, Channel. And uh, there'll be a lot of... Uh, There'll be a lot of fun moments, and the Champions Tour guys are as good as it gets, and, and they love this uh, event, and, and we love it as well. All right. Uh, it's First Tee Dallas Benefits, First Tee North, uh, Fort Worth. 
Uh, proceeds from the event will benefit the Momentous Institute, too. Uh, John Smoltz, I look forward to seeing you with one new hip and then eventually with two new hips. My brother just did both of them, and he was ready to go weeks after. So, uh, And he's 100%. They just basically say you can be on those hips. It's like miles. If you're going to keep running, you're going to run marathons, you'll just wear them out a little bit, but you'll be pain-free shortly. Uh, so, John, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate the insight. We look forward to the World Baseball Classic final tonight at 7. Thanks for having me, Brian. It's going to be a blast tonight. It is. Uh, John Smoltz, great job. When we come back, we'll take your phone calls, one 408 7669 Also, Vladimir Putin and, and President Xi just gave their final statements in a press conference between these two outlaw nations. We'll give you the latest. Don't move. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. There are thousands of non-disclosure agreements every year. Do you think anyone has ever told the truth about the payment? Can you imagine the record saying, we paid $130,000 to a porn star to buy her silence about an adulterous affair with our CEO? Uh, what he said it was legal and you know it was a settlement of a case so they don't even have the misdemeanor that's beyond the statute of limitation and then to turn it into a felony you have to then assume that the only reason he did that that record was because he didn't want to be prosecuted for an illegal campaign contribution that was the furthest thing from trump's mind obviously the reason he didn't want that to be made public is it would be embarrassing to his family to his friends and that was Alan Dershowitz last night talking about this whole Stormy Daniels situation from 17 years ago that began became a campaign issue in 2015 as he went ahead and won the presidency and became president. And then all hell has broken loose since in his personal life. Uh, legally, of course, he's looking at three other cases. And now we know that uh, A.G. Bragg just came out with a statement essentially saying, I will not be intimidated. I will still move forward. You will not stop me. And uh, we'll see. It's not a federal case. It is not worthy of breaking uh, American history by going ahead and indicting a former president for what? An NDA? Let's start looking at the Bill Clinton's background. What would JFK's background have been like had he survived? Roy, listen, WVGA in Valdosta, Georgia. Hey, Roy. Hey, good morning, Brian. How are you? Great. What's on your mind? Well, I was listening to the interview you had with John Smoltz, and I think the the new changes in baseball are going to be fantastic. I hate slow baseball games. And I think this is going to bring baseball back to where it was. The only question I had, uh, I understand you had the um, uh, two, two throw-overs to first. If you don't make it, the runner advances. I was concerned or curious about the pitch clock. What happens if if you don't make it in that time? Is it an automatic ball? Yeah, it's an what? automatic ball. And if you don't get ready with eight seconds left, uh, you it becomes an automatic strike. So it's going to be really okay. cool. It's going to be exciting. Yeah. I'm going to watch it. Robert, WABC in New York. Hey, Robert. Hi, Brian. I'm preparing a petition to Congress, and I'd like it also to be to the Senate, to outlaw fentanyl, xylazine, and isotonatazine completely. Make them Schedule One drugs under the Controlled Substances Act. That will dramatically reduce the supply, just like what happened with Quaaludes. Got it. Who uh, do you rec- 
who, who do you recommend that I submit this to? Well, that's a great point. I, I would assume the FDA. That would certainly help. I'd also like to find out the block uh, the blockages that might exist there. Maybe state Medicaid might be able to tell you, give you an idea of how things get approved and don't. Jim, listening on Freedom 970 in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jim. Hi, Brian. I think uh, Donald Trump and everybody else would be better served if he uh, does not uh, consider the um, uh, Republican nomination an entitlement and be respectful of his uh, competitors. Well, what do you mean by that? Just stop stop insulting him personally? Uh, yeah, it's like I'm entitled, it's mine, back off, and uh, earn it again. Earn that nomination again. I think he is. I, you know, that's the way he does things. You know, he that's it. You know, the certain people have different ways, especially when it comes to boxing, UFC fighting. They'll sit there and say, I'm the man. Other people do approach it with a very humble approach. But that's the way he does things. But guys like Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley are not going to be intimidated. And I don't. I think that Tim Scott and, and Mike Pompeo and Mike Pence will feel the same way. And then it'll be the best man. The other thing is these guys aren't going to get hurt by the names. They said to heard it before. They understand it. They understand the plus with Donald Trump. They just feel they're better choices. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on Outkick.com forward slash watch. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.